This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter. And now you can pull up your Home Life cameras on your TV with your Contour voice remote and some simple voice commands. To learn more, visit cox.com slash this is home. This episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Introducing DirecTV Stream, the best of live TV and on demand, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. So whether you want to catch the game live or watch the latest blockbuster, they've got you covered. And there's no annual contract. DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together at directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet and compatible device. Content varies by package and location. Restrictions apply. Simply Said is the place we come together to talk about the simple ways we can live well, do good, and be happy. And we might just change the world while we're at it. Are you ready? Let's do it! This is Polly Campbell, and welcome to the Simply Said Podcast, where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And we're going to get to that kind of in a backhanded way today, because today we're talking about triggers, emotional triggers, things that prompt a behavior that maybe we don't like, a bad habit, they might move us to take a drink or uh, feel stressed or trauma. We're going to get into that because I think they're coming up for a lot of people today and I certainly have had uh, experiences with them in, in my own life. I think we all have. Like for example, you know, when I'm, I'm self-employed and so when I was um, newly starting this job and dating my husband when we finally got married, you know, he's wise with money. We've never had a spending issue. But every time I would do the banking, because that was my control thing, right? I needed to keep track of the money because as a self-employed person, you never know what you have coming in or when it's coming in. Whenever I would notice even 20 bucks gone that he'd forgot to put in the ledger or whatever, I would flip out. So seeing those empty spaces on the ledger would stress me out, would trigger me to stress behaviors, to eating or ranting or whatever it was for me. That was a trigger for my money worries until I really sat down and understood that, hey, this is stressing me out. Here's why. Nobody's to blame for it. It's just the way I'm reacting to this physical thing that I see. I couldn't cope with it. And we had to work through that in the marriage. And triggers do that to us. They become a physical, emotional response, often without us knowing why, that can lead to difficult behavior, lead to stress response, all kinds of things. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. I think it can be part of our experience, but it's also one we can cope with. And to get down into it today, I'm bringing in my bestie, Sherry Sakanagi. Sherry, welcome back to the show. It's been a while, Polly. Too long. Too long. It's I been know. a while. You've, you've passed me up for like professionals and stuff. Well, I, now we want the, you know, the everyday Joe, I guess. Yeah, that's Or the me. everyday Joe professional. <laughs> that's I mean, me. You, you know about triggers. You write about them on your blog, skinny-truth.com. We've talked about them personally. Um, what is trigger mean to you? And, and I want to draw the distinction here. You and I were talking the difference between triggers, right? There are emotional triggers like I spoke about where a blank space in the ledger or $20 missing could send me off into a spiral of stress and bad behavior. But there are also 
trauma triggers, which are often experienced by veterans of wars, people who have been assaulted or raped. You know, right now, trigger is a popular thing to say. We say, well, that triggers me to eat. So what I'm really saying is I'm so uncomfortable that I'm choosing this bad behavior or this eating pattern. When really, for many people, it's more than an uncomfortable feeling. It's, it, it triggers them it's an intense experience that they feel on the battlefield of, of war, for the assault, for the abuse, when they've witnessed or experienced something devastating. So any conditional trigger, a smell, a sound, a, a sight, can trigger them into feeling like they are back in that spot. And that's a big deal. And, and many people are treated successfully with professional counselors and therapists. Uh, I'm big on therapy, you know, I think it helps. But today, we're talking about the emotional triggers of discomfort that many of us are experiencing during Corona and during the other pressure times of our life. And I, you've been there, you've told me about them. Yes, I, uh, it's funny using the word trigger now is in my house is, it's, the other day, my son said something to me and I was getting all hot and bothered. He's like, oh, does that trigger you, mom? Like, it's kind of a buzzword. Mm -hmm. And so even when I say it, it feels like it doesn't give it the, the seriousness that it really is. But, but being triggered by something certainly can um, drive you to some pretty destructive behaviors. And, and that is what happens to me. So the things that I talk about today, I'm giving you people thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of therapeutic advice because yeah. I, there was a lot of couch time talking about this kind of stuff because um, being an anorexia, anorexic, struggling with anorexia, I was triggered by something every day on a daily basis. And it did lead to destructive behaviors for me through mainly over-exercise and under-eating um, that was life-threatening. So um, I do have some thoughts on the subject, yes. You told me that triggers for you, but I think really for all of us, come up when our bodies are trying to regulate and keep us safe. Yeah. So well, you had mentioned it, that you're, you're triggered when you are feeling uncomfortable, when something happens that makes you uncomfortable. And our bodies are wired to keep us safe. So when we act out on something that makes us uncomfortable, it's our body's way of trying to keep us in our social safety system. That's what we're wired to do. So, you know, I'm just going to use a, a, a well, well known, but when you're an alcoholic who's drinking is drinking to, to numb themselves from something that's making them uncomfortable. They're trying to regain a sense of safety. Um, and that's, that's what a trigger is trying to do. It stabilizes us when we feel out of control. Yes. You know, in, in my, uh, another personal example for me, it has showed up throughout my life. My husband, who's a very gentle, kind guy, grew up in a household was not, that was not very gentle or kind. And it was a volatile emotional and physical situation in his household. So that showed up often with his dad, screaming or yelling and on occasion things got physical and then he meets me and and I am 
intense and I'm a passionate person and I am loud. And what that looks like is I holler when I'm happy. I holler when I'm excited. I holler when I'm mad. So particularly in the early years of our marriage, every time I raised my voice, it could just be like, Hey, I'm happy to see you. It would trigger him. And Neither one of us realized it at the time, but what it looked like was he would just shut down. Sometimes he would physically walk away and go to a, like far away to a different part of the house. Uh, he had a nervous reaction. He would kind of start slamming cupboards and doing that kind of stuff. We really had to work through that because to me, what felt like a normal way of communicating, just upbeat and loud and, and you know, excited, felt like a threat to him. And so when he went into shutdown mode, when he felt threatened, he went into shutdown mode. And I interpreted that as he wasn't interested in me and he didn't have time for me. We had to work through that and we have. So now I'm aware to manage my voice. And I also am aware to make different physical contact with him, look in the eye or smile or do something different. So he knows I'm not a threat. And he's learned how to stay in there and tell me when he's feeling afraid. But that really derailed us for a few years. I think according to one of my therapists, that's very yeah, common, in, very common in couples, actually. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> no doubt. We have a lot of common things in couples. How does it show up for you? You said you over-exercise, you would limit food. It, it doesn't show up for me as much anymore. And I'm going to say, and I'm going to give an example. And it's, you use the word, it's awareness. Until you become aware of your body and the sensations in your body, when you are upset about something, it's, it's really hard to address um, the behavior that comes after. So a lot of the time that I spent um, in recovery was working on recognizing the signs within my body when I was not in my safety zone. Because until, I, until you can bring yourself back into your safety zone in a healthy way, you can't, you can't change your behavior, if that makes sense. And I've, I've gotten good at it. I really have until last week, <laughs> which caught me off guard. So when I was in my illness for years and years, the way I avoided anything painful, any conflict, any emotion was to run. I physically would go running. And if I was really upset, usually um, triggered by an argument with my husband, I could run for 15 miles and just over and over and over in my head, just replay it, replay it, replay it, replay it, replay it. And that's until I felt my body calm down. And like I said, sometimes that was a half marathon before I could calm myself down. And that took a lot of toll and wear and tear. And like I said, um, put me in a pretty precarious health situation. So I've had to work a lot over the years to um, not take my discomfort out on my body physically, but to learn to, to sit in the discomfort and figure out what is making me uncomfortable. So last week, my, I wrote a blog post about um, my, the passing of my mom. And it was really, it was probably the hardest post I've had to write. And my husband came out and he's like, I don't like that post. I don't agree with, that's not how, that's not how it happened. And I'm like, I immediately, my heart started to pound. I started to sweat. 
I, my defenses started to go up immediately. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he had an issue with a sentence that I put in there about his reaction uh, during the day that my mom died. And I immediately, I just shut down. I shut him out. I shut down. And I'm like, I'm going for a walk. And I walked out the door and that walk turned into a run. And I don't run. And I knew what I was doing when I was doing it, but I could, and I just kept replaying the replaying and how could he and this and that and this and that. And I got home and I'm like, wow, wow, let's back that up. And I had to back it up and I had to think about it and what was the real emotion and what was I really bothered about and what made me go running. It was just a trigger is very, um, embedded and deep. And when you are struck by something that really, really bothers you, you go to your go-to, whether it's drinking or running or shopping or yelling, it's, it's like your body's saying, not safe, not safe, not safe. Get me safe right now. Whatever you have to do, do it. And, um, that was eye-opening. It makes you realize you always have to work. You, you always have to work. And I think that awareness is a habit that we can cultivate. But, you know, even in the best of times, even the most aware people, we all have times where we have to back it up. I like that phrase. Listen, you can have a do-over. Now, triggers are wired that way, right? Our body is biologically wired to try, as you said, to get us to that safe position. So, when we feel under threat, emotionally or physically, our body is going to spin around until it figures out what to do. Get us food, tighten our muscles so we're ready to fight or flight or whatever it is for us. And the human animal of us, the emotional part of us, doesn't like that, right? Because that's uncomfortable. So if we are reactive rather than aware, which we all are people, seriously, some things don't get to me at all and others just flip me out and you'd be surprised. They're, they're usually minor things all the way around. But, but when we react instead of sit in our awareness, then we go eat or we take that drink or we scream or we shop or we run, right? Or we work, you know? I have been really unsettled because my work life doesn't look the same since we've done remote schooling and my husband's working from home and all these things. It doesn't look the same. And I'm a person who historically, I thought I was through it, but who historically has always associated a lot, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of control, a sense of power with producing. I can't create the same way I always have because my whole life physically has been turned up, upside down because everybody is in my workspace. And I, that has really done some crazy things to me. Like for instance, um, when I'm sitting at the end of the day and I can't do what I need to do, I feel bored. And so I'm going to have a drink or I'm going to eat something. That is completely unlike me. That is not. And it took me to back it up a little bit, like you said, and think, huh, I'm in this weird pattern. It's, it's new to me. It's a weird pattern. What is going on? And I had to sit there and say, okay, I had to unravel the physical cues. So I had to stop the drinking, stop the eating, first of all, and, and sit in that space before I reacted to go get food, sit in there and say, what is going on? And it was always when I was bored. 
It was mm-hmm. always when I was bored and frustrated because I couldn't get where I needed to go intellectually or work-wise. And so now when I feel that, I just get up and I, I play the ukulele or I, I take my laptop out or I go for a walk or I do something else. But I didn't know that for the longest time. I didn't know that for seven pounds. I put on yes. seven pounds eating that way. And I'm like, yes. what am I doing? I'm eating normally the rest of the day. What is the difference? The difference was four o'clock. <laughs> didn't that know. is so interesting. I mean, when we talk about this, food is a big one. You know, I worked with, with a, as a health coach with a lot of women and man, uh, uh, when somebody's feeling upset, bored, lonely, stressed, food is a big one for a lot of people. It's a, you really have to dig down and figure out what, what's at the root of that kind of thing. Yeah. Be patient with yourself. So here are some things I think uh, we can look for, right. And, and add to this, Sherry, as I go, okay. if, if you're feeling tense in your muscles, your shoulders, your neck, if you have a headache, if you're feeling pain in your body, if you're feeling sadness or loneliness, if you're feeling overwhelmed or, or vulnerable or anxious, you know, if you're feeling bored, if you're feeling those things before you act on them, sit with them and see the sorts of them. Emotions, they, they're not going to hurt us. With awareness, we can even diffuse them. But often we behave badly from them. And emotions are usually the cue that can help us. If we say, I'm bored, I'm going to eat, or I'm angry when I see this empty ledger, Instead of going off on my husband or, you know, grabbing a tortilla, I can sit back and say, okay, interesting. What does that boredom feel like? Or what does that anger and fear feel like? What am I really feeling? And then you can choose your response. You might still decide to go off on your husband, but I found a lot better ways than doing that. Things that have helped get to the real source of the problem. The triggers are our subconscious protection. But when we start to unravel them and recognize what we're feeling in our body and, and the emotions that we have behind them, then we can get into that and begin to cope with them. And to step back just one step before that, remembering that first and foremost, and this is hard for me to understand, before you can sit and start thinking about it, you have to get yourself back into your social safety system. And otherwise you can't get to the the next level of thinking and working through something. And some of the things that worked for me, and actually the one that worked the best for me was a breathing technique called the big three plus one. Uh, Some other suggestions would be like deliberately moving your facial muscles in like bizarre ways, like raising your eyebrows or puffing out your cheeks, tensing your large muscle groups and relaxing them, something to get your body focused back to where you are. Uh, Chewing gum, listening to music. If you know you're really trying to work on something and, and it's reoccurring, you could have like a little box of pictures of pets or kids, something that soothes you if you know you need a go-to. For me, it was more like, I don't have time to grab anything. I just need to breathe because, or else I'm going to do something destructive to my breathing, body. Breathing is huge, I think. And also when we know science-wise, research shows that when you change your physiology, you change how your brain 
response and how your brain reacts. So we can use this both ways. We can change our thoughts to improve how our body feels. But when we are triggered, that's a perfect time to step in there and change your physiology because it will change how you're processing your thoughts, which is a trigger, immediately. So I, I agree. Well, some, one thing I do is sometimes I have to just get myself up. I, I work a lot sitting at my desk when I'm really stressed or doing the banking or whatever, or I'm triggered to something sitting on the couch bored. I have to just stand up, like get up and get back into life. And that can be enough to say, Oh, that's weird. What was going on there? And, and, you know, I, I want to say this isn't something to hide or be ashamed of. This is a human protective response, but it's not one we have to live with in a negative way. We, we can cope with it so that we can get to the root of it and feel better so that every time I'm feeling frustrated or uncertain or bored, I don't, you know, go eat a pizza. I don't want to mm -hmm. do that to myself. Mm -hmm. You know, every time you're feeling upset or insecure or hurt uh, in your relationship or in your life, you don't have to run 25 miles. You have learned other ways mm -hmm. to soothe that. Mm -hmm. simply start today. This is the segment. I, I like what you said, Sherry. Identify the trigger. Usually it's recurring. What do you mean? Are we going to have the same triggers over and over? No. I mean, the situations can be different, but a lot of times it's the same feeling or emotion that's stretched up. Is it embarrassment or fear or hurt? So you may be in a different location, but whatever happens brings up the same emotion. And so it's, you, you identify that. Yeah, you might be in a different situation and there might be different triggers, right? Because triggers can be internal, like emotional feelings or external. You smell something or you hear a loud noise. So identify the trigger, identify what's going on. Did you yell, shut down, get defensive, participate in some other behavior like my eating every day at four o'clock? And then where do we start from there? Just this week, just be aware. Look for those things and then... In the coming week, catch yourself at least once. Catch yourself once and try using something we suggested here today, be it the breathing, the muscles, the petting a dog, to get yourself back into your social safety system. Just see if you can do that first and start there. And then you can maybe dissect it. But your job this week is to just try to get into your social safety system when you feel bothered by something. That's good advice. Simply start by becoming aware what's going on in your body, what's happening in your environment, what's triggering you, and see if you can reground yourself into your social safety system. I like that. Sherry, that brings us to the Simply Nifty segment where I talk about practices, favorite things, books, ideas. I want to talk about your big three plus one because I do know of this and I think it's a, a huge help. Can you take us through it? It is so simple and it has saved me in so many stressful situations, but it's a breathing technique where you do three things at one time, and then you smile. You take a deep breath, you raise your eyebrows, and you float your arms kind of up and down towards your side, and then smile. So the big three is breath, eyebrows, arms, and the plus one is a smile. So you're, and, you're engaging your physiology like we just talked about. You are. Muscles. You are. And you know, it, it feels, and so funny. And the first few times I did it, I had to do it in public once. I was, was with Polly, actually. I'm not sure she knew that I did it, but I was, I was feeling anxious. I'm just anxious used to you doing weird things. I, I was anxious in a situation. I was new in recovery. And I, I just, I'm like, I 
I was desperate because I was in this auditorium and I did the fig three plus one several times and it worked. It really works. Give it Tell a me shot. again, breath, deep breath in, raise your eyebrows, dramatically float your arms down to your side and smile. All right. That's simply nifty. Breathing from the belly, diaphragmatic breathing is super powerful. And there's been tons of research done on this for the management of anxiety and depression, because they know that moving your physiology and getting the oxygen and air through your body is a huge difference maker. So this exercise, Simply Nifty, Big Three Plus One, activates those muscles, those thoughts, and that breath, and puts it to work for you to help you soothe yourself in the moment before you act on the trigger, right? We can do this. This is a human experience and we're certainly getting plenty of opportunities to practice right now. So don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Just become aware and simply start this week. Then do the big three plus one. I think it's simply nifty. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks, Polly. Well, you're so pleasant. When we're when on air, did, you're so nice. I just did the big three plus one. I'm totally relaxed oh, right now. Look at you. Now you're all good. Sherry, we're going to wrap it up here. Anything you want to add? I think the thing that I would like to close on is if you have a behavior that's really, um, you would like to change, something that's triggered, something that, that happens and reoccurs and causes you to do stuff you don't like, just really work on it. You can change it. You don't have to live with the behavior you don't like. You can change it. You don't have to live with that. You don't have to live with, with a behavior you don't like when you're feeling uncomfortable. You don't have to take that drink. You don't have to eat that food. You don't have to go for the run, right? You can choose to change the behavior and you have the power to do that. I mean, you're that strong. I think it's a lot harder to live with these uh, feelings of being out of control than it is to change that behavior. I got to say, it takes effort, but I don't like feeling like something else is managing my thoughts in my body. I'd much rather be in the driver's seat of that. So give it a try. Let us know how you do it. Let us know how it feels to you. You can find Sherry on her blog at skinny-truth.com. And there's a lot of information in her blog posts about triggers and about managing the discomfort, as she alluded to in, in her recovery from anorexia. So check it out. Sherry Sakanagi, you can find her at skinny-truth.com. As always, you can find me at PL Campbell on Twitter. Tweet me, let me know what you're up to. I'm on Facebook at Polly Campbell Author. So check in. And Give yourself time to step back, process your emotions, identify what's going on for you, and then you get to choose how to feel and behave from there. And that's the power position. When we do that, we can manage these triggers and we can live well, do good, and be happy.
Electricast.